0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite.
1: If you know, then you know,
2: it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week, trying to turn his blood, sweat, and tears.
0: Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds product that jed depends on bte builds products that you can depend on whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission a torque converter designed for your specific combination or any transmission component or bolt-on item the folks at bte and memphis performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra competitive world of sportsman drag racing shop online at bteracing.com and the Saturday Night Hooker. Now, originally, our plan for this week was to essentially take the week off. I think we actually articulated that on one of our previous episodes. Um, it is World Footbreak Challenge week. Uh, in fact, by the time that you listen to this, uh, Big Jed and his team will be in full swing at Bristol with this year's WFC. So, obviously, his week very tied up, and uh, we could both just kind of use a break. So, we were going to take this week off, resume next week. And then... Um, with the passing of Kyle Seipel, which you know we we touched on a little bit last episode, obviously uh, Kyle has been on the minds of Jed, Mark, myself. He's been on the minds of uh, you know the entire racing community, and it's it's so wild when we think about loss, and particularly in in this vein, because uh, we knew that Kyle was struggling. We knew that he was. In bad shape intellectually, uh, we knew that this ending was inevitable, right? Like it, it, we we could see this coming, and yet emotionally, when it happens, it's still a shock, right? Like it's just such a, a gut punch. Like I, I remember feeling that way uh, years and years ago with my father. Like you you know what's coming, and how intellectually you can ex- accept it. Like you just can never be prepared for it. And so as part of like my own personal kind of mourning process, I, I went back um, last week and I just, I, I wanted to hear Kyle's voice and I, he had been an, a guest on this show uh, twice in the past and I just, I replayed those shows and I listened to them and um, we're going to play them back here on this episode of the podcast uh, his first appearance was uh, in 2018, right around the Spring Fling Million, which was literally months prior to his original diagnosis. So with that, you get a little glimpse at what pre-cancer Kyle, who he was, right? And then the second was just a year later, um, but it was, it was obviously a, a difficult year, right? It was a, a year embroiled in a battle with this disease, and so you juxtapose those those two and, and you'll get the opportunity again to, to listen to them both back to back but again when, when I listened to that what stood out to me first and foremost was just I guess it's the power of audio right like I, I wanted like I said I wanted to hear Kyle's voice and you get to not only do that but you know it, it also to some extent it captures his, his spirit and I'll admit like when I listened to these myself, like I laughed, I cried, right? And you may very well do the same. So if you're not prepared for that, like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll see you next week. No judgment here. Um, there's parts of this that, you know, it, it hits you as is very sad, right? Because, because you hear um, what Kyle was like. And then there's also a side to this that I feel like is is therapeutic, like almost... Refreshing, just because it feels so good to have that memory, right? And to hear his voice. So, again, the two separate conversations, and we'll keep them in chronological order here, uh, they provide a really interesting juxtaposition because when you listen to the, the, the brief interview that he did with uh, myself, Jed, and Peter Biondo, um, it was Carefree Kyle. Like, it was the way that so many of us choose and want to remember him. It's it's the Kyle that we know. And then, again, like a year later, to just hear what he had been through in those that 12 months' time and the toll that it took on him, his family, and the Biondo family, um, and then to just kind of think, like, it's been three years now since that conversation. And obviously the toll that it took in that first year was was uh, just a precursor of things to come. There were some good times in there, right? This, that, that interview, that 2019 interview, had an air of optimism. Like we, we were all, well knew what the stakes were, but there was this feeling that, Kyle had beaten this thing, right? And uh, and obviously that that proved not to be the case. So it's just uh, it's I don't know. I will let you listen for yourself. Um, I'll I'll just say this: like for those of you who knew Kyle, um, I I think there's more joy in this audio than there than there is sadness. Like it's just a, a glimpse back and and memories of the man that we remember. And for those of you who didn't get the opportunity to meet Kyle or that weren't close to him, um, it's a little glimpse into what you missed out on. And I'll just tell you, you missed out on a lot. So I'll shut up. Um, Like I say, these are replays. The first um, from the spring of 2018. I think that's about, uh, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes long. And then uh, we'll follow that up with a real heartfelt um, conversation between Jed, Kyle, and myself uh, from the spring of 2019.
2: It's time for
1: The Big
2: Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed.
3: All right, guys. As promised, we are joined now by two guys that we think a lot of and uh, definitely very successful drag racers themselves but i guess most recently being known for promoting the premier bracket race series spring fling and fall fling from coast to coast and definitely the guys that are about to bring you the spring fling million great to have peter biondo and kyle Seipel joining us tonight guys how you doing
4: doing great jared and uh i'm glad you gave us a call and gave us the option of being on we really like the podcast. I've been enjoying it a lot lately. You guys are doing great for the sport.
3: Well, we appreciate that very much. Uh, I know you're just saying that because we brought you on the show, Peter, but we appreciate it nonetheless. Um, <laughs> what about you, Kyle? How you doing?
1: Doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I could wholeheartedly say that I never, never miss a show. It comes up uh, every Wednesday. I try to play it as soon as uh, it comes available, and you guys do a great job. And I hear that from plenty of racers coast to coast too. So, thank you very much for having me.
3: It'll sound like you need something else to do in your life, Kyle. Uh, but thank you for listening, bud. We appreciate it very much. Uh, uh, Kyle, uh, we led the show uh, talking about a very unfortunate incident at Sonoma, the track that you now manage. What can you tell us about that incident? You know, what happened and from your perspective as a racer and as the track operator?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd be more than glad to, you guys. Basically, uh, last Wednesday night, we run a grudge series, which has been in existence for 30 years over at Sonoma Raceway. And, uh, we had a, a driver, uh, Ken Rambo, a local driver had a mid 10 second pinno, him and his family owned for over 30 years, his son and his grandson. Uh, it's a, it's a family team, just like all of us can relate to, uh, Ken was 75 years old and lost control slightly right past the finish line and made contact, uh, with the, uh, the K wall and, uh, unfortunately didn't make it with
3: us yeah that's you know just one of those things that that you hate to talk about hate to see in racing but from everything i've read kyle uh, and i talked about it earlier when we uh, led the show with it that all the safety equipment was intact the car was deemed safe everything was as it should have been it was just an unfortunate incident that happens when you drag race
1: yeah you're 100 percent right you know it the four of us uh, do this all the time, and this is an inherently dangerous sport that we kind of take for granted. Quite honestly, it, uh, when something like this happens, it really hits home. I mean, uh, you're talking a 10-second uh, car that, uh, like I say, the four of us kind of take for granted that there is any any type of danger involved. But you're, you're 100% right. I mean, he had all the correct safety equipment on, and. Uh, Everything uh, was in order from our side. It's just uh, you know, unfortunate uh, scenario, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, most definitely. So let's talk about something now that's a little bit more fun to talk about, and that is the Spring Fling Million. It's less than two weeks away, guys. I know some things are new for 2018. Obviously, the track is now four-wide. You've increased your purse to the largest guaranteed purse in racing. Tell us a little bit about what's coming up in a couple of weeks.
0: You guys don't have to argue over who's going to talk.
4: Yeah. <laughs> okay, either one my, of my turn. <laughs> my turn. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still, I'm still starstruck because this is the only, the only way I think I can get Jared to call me or pick up the phone. He's such a celebrity these days. So I'm a little Whatever, bit starstruck. Man. But, uh, no, we're really, you know, it doesn't feel like the event's coming up because of all the crappy weather we've been having on the East Coast. It just feels like it's still in the dead of winter over here, but uh, in, my wife and I are flying out in less than two weeks, and we'll be at the Spring Fling Million. We're really excited about it. It's, this is something that Kyle and I and my wife, Emily, are all in the thick of things for the last couple of months and preparing for it, and, and it's here, and we're, uh, we're pumped up about it.
1: We're super excited, you know uh Peter and I try to game plan it as much as we can towards the end of the year that what, what we try to forecast for the following year and I flew out to Peter's house about the end it's actually the first part of January, and anyways uh time frame doesn't really matter, but we decided that for two thousand and eighteen we wanted to really give the million dollar race in Vegas a strong pop, and Peter suggested, you know why don't we guarantee two hundred thousand dollars? I thought it was a great idea, and uh you know, it's uh, basically the highest-paying drag race in uh, 2018, so we're super excited about that, any type of pro- professional race, any type of uh, no-prep race. So, you know, we're, we're guaranteeing $200,000 regardless if we get 30 cars or, or uh, 200 cars. So, you know, uh, <laughs> that alone, uh, being able to guarantee that type of person on the West Coast, in the, essentially in the middle of nowhere in the desert makes us very, very proud, that's for sure.
0: To that point, Kyle, obviously you're accurate in stating that you guys have the largest guaranteed purse in all of drag racing in 2018, but stating something that is seemingly obvious created a little bit of a stir on Facebook, did it not?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, Our buddy, the duck there, Donald Long, uh, had a post on his own personal page, which... uh, he seems to have, uh, you know, five to 10 posts daily on Facebook, it looks like. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he made a post that uh, his uh, no prep race, $101,000 to win, which is, I think you guys have touched on in the past, is actually winner take all. There's no type of round money whatsoever. But he had made a post that uh, expressed that he had one of the highest paying races. And a good friend of mine, uh, and Peter's for that matter, act, actually probably of the whole podcast, Sean Langdon, uh, took it upon himself to say, well, duck you're actually getting warm but the spring fling million pays two hundred thousand dollars to win regardless of car count so you guys are actually warming up you guys you guys uh you guys might get there someday type of deal and uh he kind of he kind of took that as a slap in the face and and uh i'm sure he didn't to, mean it well, that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Surely. exactly right but uh, yeah, yeah i'm sure he didn't exactly but uh Duck is uh, very, very good at promotion, and uh, anything that I think he could actually sink his teeth into and promote his series, he's going to do. And uh, you guys can see from the aftermath, uh, he he just basically took it upon himself that it was uh, his group. He had the $101,000 to race Switch 16 at South Georgia. He took his racers and kind of put them against the whole bracket racing clientele, coast to coast, and I I don't think he realized how big a following bracket racing has, because you don't see him back up on his words much, but I think that after he made a couple of posts there, the first uh, 12 hours, he uh, came back and said that uh, he was sorry about uh, offending the bracket race community. And I kind of found, <laughs> found it funny because he has some bracket classes of his own most at, at most of his events. So I wasn't really sure what he was trying to get across, but uh, that was kind of fun. The the uh, words going back and forth. Exactly.
4: From my vantage point, guys, I, I was, uh, I didn't even realize this was going on until about 400 posts and 600 shares later, <laughs> and and I see my buddy there defending us, and, and it was pretty cool, because I saw a lot of the bracket racing world defending us and saying, well, I mean, a lot of guys just put it like this, well, 200,000 is greater than 101,000, and just left it at that, but, <laughs> and, and then I text Kyle, I said, who is this duck guy, because I really didn't know who he was, but then I realized he has it going on when it comes to what he's doing and he's the cream of the crop i guess in his uh in, in that world of, of what he does down in south georgia and lights out but uh so after i watched his video i realized what he was doing and he was duck was just getting a lot of promotion out of it and i guess i guess that's what he's good at but because some of the stuff just didn't add up a lot of the stuff what he said just didn't add up but it was fun yeah
3: yeah, he had a pay-per-view that was $10 to watch his race for and I promise you some bracket racers bought it that wasn't going to buy it just as a result of all that. So it was mission accomplished for him. But nonetheless, we're not going to let anybody tear down premier bracket races. And I'm thankful for all the people that came and defended you guys and any bracket racers or bracket race promoters. And so everybody out there that took some time to do that was awesome. But just real quickly back to the Spring Fling Million and what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Uh, I know, Kyle, you talked about the 200000 guarantee, but Peter, that's not uh, the only increase in purse that, that you guys have for that event.
4: No, and, and the way this all came about when Kyle visited me, guys, was uh, we were getting a few calls, especially guys, like Kyle mentioned, Vegas, you have to travel pretty far from a lot of, from most racers' houses, let's just put it that way. It's not like a Bristol... Uh, where there's there's a ton of racers in a two hundred mile radius, so we were getting a lot of calls, and Kevin Brandon was one of them. He's you know he says, what you have to make that race a little bit more enticing to travel to and and uh we took that and and that was what gave us the uh, idea to make it two hundred thousand guaranteed for the big day and and obviously, obviously everyone knows it goes up from that. My goal is to get it a uh, short term goal in the next couple of years. I like to get it to hit four hundred cars where it pays five hundred thousand i think that'll be a pretty good statement there and really life-changing money but jared to answer your question we raised from twenty thousand dollars for the surrounding races to thirty thousand dollars just to sweeten the pot up for the three out of the four days that are that are non-million days
0: yeah i haven't really kept up with it at all what are you guys looking at as far as i know you had a pre-entry program like how many people are already committed
1: actually funny you mentioned i actually have it right in front of you we have uh over 270 are pre for the three days. And keep in mind, guys, uh, uh, for this West Coast model, pre-entry is not mandatory. Uh, right. We give some incentives. That if you're a pre-enter, that, that you have a chance at winning one of two uh, million-dollar uh, entries for free. It's kind of uh, a way that Peter and I give back to the racers. But the West Coast event we have here in Vegas, pre-ent- pre-entry is not mandatory uh, as opposed to Galat or Bristol because it's a whole different business model. We're, we're trying to get as uh, many racers there because – the more racers are on the million dollar race, the more money that they can potentially win. But, but that being said, we're, we're a little over 270 on, on the three day entries. We have uh, 120 that have already prepaid for the million dollar race. And we have four open spots in the uh, pro 38, which is, a uh, most of your uh, viewers probably realize, but the pro 38 is a completely separate class bottom bolt class only that has their own buy runs and, has their own winner and then that winner advances uh, into the main event all four days and uh in, in, in 2017 uh, the drivers had some great success there so uh, uh we have four spots open there and uh we're really really excited with these numbers we, we think it might be our our, our biggest million dollar event uh, to today
0: yeah that's where i was going to go with that like in comparison to this time last year are those numbers up or comparable or do you have that info
1: yeah it, we're about 15% above last year. So nice. last year we had, yeah, we had 400 cars on the, the three non million dollar days and uh, 230 on the million dollar day that some guy from Illinois got lucky enough to win. Yep.
4: So right. Yeah. So right now Luke's doing in his head, 230,000 plus 15%. <laughs> Cause that's what, he, that's what the winners check was last year. Knowing Luke. Yeah. I mean, we like knowing what yeah, we're yeah. racing
0: for, don't we? Right. I mean, <laughs> we can all speak to that. This weekend, uh, I'd, I've been keeping up as I'm sure most racers have with the the progress at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and this transition to a four lane racetrack. Obviously this weekend's gonna be pretty special out there with their inaugural four wide event. Any plans for you guys like specific to this year, I guess and maybe in the future, like will we be utilizing all four lanes at all or will we just race down two like we have in the past?
4: Well, I've actually been getting, surprisingly, a lot of calls from bracket racers that are asking that exact same question, Luke. And, you know, I I try to feel them out as I'm speaking with them just to get an idea on what, if the bracket racers would want that or not want that. Uh, And I'm getting a lot of mixed opinions. In the short term, we'd have to definitely talk to Foster and and Bob from Compulink and see what's possible with that, because bracket racing with the staggered tree four lanes and and whatnot – but uh i think it could bring some excitement and uh not in the near future but possibly down the road we could uh maybe play with that in a shootout if lvms lets us do it and uh and see how it goes and probably not change the whole event over right away but at least toy with it and sample it and see how it goes yeah interesting
0: stuff i can't
4: really imagine
0: like i've never even raced at charlotte so i would imagine like there would be a distraction factor to deal with but it's nice i guess i don't know what would prompt this but i guess it would be nice knowing that you had the extra two lanes of something catastrophic happened and you couldn't race down one lane of the racetrack you know something crazy like it's a nice backup plan if nothing else i would assume
4: yeah and, and bracket racing is and my gut feeling is for the long run though we could have some fun with it but bracket racing is it's one guy and another guy watching each other on the way down the track finish line driving and there's a lot of strategy involved. I think if you do the, the way I was thinking of trying a shootout at some point would be four lanes at the same time with dial and everything, which would basically be a package racing. And I personally, I don't think that's what bracket racing is about. So, uh, I mean, I, I'd like to at least think about, have some visions of trying some kind of shootout just to change things up a little bit, but I don't see our, our whole event changing to that. But like you said, Luke, it is good to have, if something happens, it's good to have two, prep lanes getting you know ready to go right next to it if if need be hey wait a second wait a
0: second man you're peter Biondo.
4: like you can't tell me
0: you couldn't drop the guy in lane one while you rolled through the guy in lane three <laughs> i think well, you can uh, pull it off
4: <laughs> i would I need a cu- couple extra eyeballs but uh, <laughs> 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 uh it would be it so. would be cool and interesting but, uh, bracket racing is meant is meant uh i mean for what we do judging the stripe and everything i think that would change it up quite a bit
1: so Kyle, we'll go I was kind of thinking that, uh, yeah, that, uh, let me throw in one more thing there, Jared. I, this is kind of funny, but I was thinking it would be door cars only, and there'd be two people in the car, driver and passenger. <laughs> but, you know, that way they could both look at their opponent. And they could make it like a, you know, they have those rallies where you have one guy's a navigator, like he points his hand. I'm actually pointing right now, like forward, forward, left, left, <laughs> right, right, you know. <laughs> and then uh, he's telling the driver what to do. Anyways, uh, I'm just, what if we did
0: it with ahead. driver's ed cars where you had a brake pedal on a passenger side? <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, if we're going to switch
1: it up, let's just really switch it up a little bit.
0: Kyle, <laughs> could you imagine riding with me and how badly we would cuss each other from the finish line to the turnoff? you do that
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. So I would love Kyle. to have an in car camera shot for that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kyle,
3: obviously, you know, you guys are, are a few years in now to the to spring fling million. You have contributed heavily to raising the stakes on the bracket racing landscape and what is available for bracket racers coast to coast tell us a little bit about building your brand the spring fling and now fall fling brand i was there um, the first event had several weather challenges and didn't go as planned and then you know you're eight nine years whatever into it you got three of the biggest and most recognized races on the bracket racing landscape tell us a little bit about what you guys have done to build your brand and create what you've done
1: well first and foremost foremost we've been very very fortunate i mean like you say the the first event we had what was it 160 cars 170 cars uh
4: well i you know, forget the, the car pan. Pan. my yeah. mind goes to how hard we worked and how much money we lost
1: <laughs> that,
4: yeah. that that i remember yeah. and i know we. <laughs> I, I know I, after we left i I turned to you and I said, uh, I've never worked so damn hard in my life and lost so much money at the same time. (laughs) That's what I remember. It's funny now, it
1: wasn't. Yeah, exactly. And going back to that that first event, I'll never forget, we were we're cutting down the banners, you know, I'm thinking we're going to save them for the next event, and he turns to me and says, "Well, we probably won't. We'll, we'll never need these banners anyway. <laughs> That wasn't a very good sign. <laughs> uh, but no. you know, it, it's basically in uh, American Dream story. When you really, if you if you look at it from my perspective, I mean, you got two guys, two best of friends from left coast and right coast, meet up in, in Bristol, Tennessee, and the first event doesn't go nearly to plan. And like Peter said, we put a lot of effort into it and uh, we didn't think it was going to be easy. Don't, don't get me wrong, but we certainly didn't think we were going to be in the red as much as we were. And so you take the next four to six weeks after that, and we're contemplating if we're, we're going to try this again. And then racers started being very receptive. You know, what a great time they had and you guys should do this again. And here we are nine years later. And we, like you say, we have three huge, huge bracket races. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. And it, it We basically are very passionate about bracket racing. It's uh, my dad started bracket racing in 1977, and and, you know, uh, basically bracket racing at at our dinner table was like the Super Bowl. That's all we ever really talked about. Uh, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but basically, uh, the ET finals for us, I mean, that was the uh, U.S. Nationals every year out out in Bakersfield. And Peter is very similar. I mean, his his dad was a very prominent division one racer. And that's all Peter really knew growing up with his, with his brother and sister. And, and, uh, you take two passionate people from, from each coast and, you know, we just keep grinding and grinding and grinding to try to try to make our events better and better. And, and, you know, uh, Peter took a leap of faith in myself, basically year three, he says, listen, I want you to work on these events full time. And if for whatever reason, they're not profitable, I'll I'll make sure that you can make ends meet. That was a huge leap of faith uh, in myself. And, didn't really put any, uh, you know, some people think it was pressure, but, uh, it was actually the opposite of like, wow, this guy has, has a lot of faith in myself. So we're going to make this happen long-term. And here we are, uh, you know, working, like you said, we got, we have three events and it's what I do full-time. And the, 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 the job at Sonoma is, is a, a part-time gig and lucky enough to get uh, Emily and Peter's blessing to do that. But, uh, yeah, super, it, you know, if it's a storybook, uh, ending for myself, or, or it's something that movies and men have looked little Yeah, you
3: know, you talk about building your brand, and your tagline is race it, experience it, and I'm not here to blow smoke up either of your skirts, because I don't like either one of you that much, but it's, uh, being behind the scenes, <laughs> I've seen it play out so many times, where the tough decisions always have the racer's interest, and the true experience in mind first, before you count money one way or the other. And I think that has contributed heavily to building the brand that you've built and sticking to your tagline. And I I think that's inevitably one of the the reasons you're successful now and going to continue to be.
4: Yeah, thanks, Jared. And uh, it was January 1st, as, um, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking back when we came up with this. It was January 1st, 2010, and we were on a lake tahoe vacation with the families and that was january and in april is when we kicked off the first spring fling in bristol so i mean it was kind of crazy three or four months into it into the planning to just launch it like that but as i'm thinking back we had 10 pages of notes that january 1st that new year's day that kyle and i just scribbled scrap sheets of paper and every bit of those notes as i think back was what would we want as a racer walking in, getting, coming into the gate at a big bug bracket race? And we just kept going back to that, and that's really what we built it on. And uh, one of the things we built it on is exactly what you said: the experience. We kept going back to, well, it's nice to have the top prize be big. It's nice to race. Everybody wants to race for big money on top. Everyone wants good round money. Blah 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 blah. But what about the the large percentage of people that don't win money or Or for that matter, uh, go home with less money than they came from, than they came with. So how do we put a smile on their face? And that biggest thing that I could say that drives me to continue to do this is not when a guy collects a big check, but when a guy comes to us after the race says, you know, I didn't win a damn dime and I had the most fun I ever had at a race. And and, uh, that's what drives me.
0: Yeah, that is cool, and that is something you guys have definitely cultivated. Where you have gone with this series of events over the last eight years, as you guys explained, is nothing short of remarkable. But in that eight-year span, not only have your events and your series grown, the landscape of sports and drag racing, in particular the Big Dollar Bracket Racing, has changed pretty significantly there was a time when there was the million dollar race there was maybe a handful of 50 granders spread out throughout the season and you could count them on one hand the races that pay that much now they're every other weekend or in some cases every weekend to that point like next weekend is the the powerball event in darlington that'll pay well over a hundred thousand dollars and then followed immediately by the spring fling million and that's obviously months in advance of the million dollar race in October, like, and in between there's 50 granders, there's hundred granders, there's all kinds of stuff completely different than what it was even five, six, seven, eight years ago. I guess I'm interested in knowing, obviously you guys know your place in that and you've been a, a big part of it. What do you think the future brings? Like, where do you see this going? I guess is my, is my question.
4: Well, and, and, uh, I'll start with saying, and it's a great year to be a racer. That, <laughs> no question right that's for sure and, and i remember guys i'm a racer before i ever, i was uh any kind of promoter or anything to do with the spring fling i'm a racer so uh it, it's a great year to be a racer the racers have a lot of options there's a lot of good great options out there so i i think it's great i think it's great for uh it's great for a lot of businesses it's it's gonna um more options to put people to keep people going to the races is good for a lot of reasons, and uh, where do I see it going, it's uh, kind of like uh, you know real estate. They have what they call a, a buyer's market or a seller's market. Well, right now, it's a racer's market, and um, you know, is there enough? Are there enough racers to uh, that all these with that all these events can withstand? Uh, probably not. So, uh, some of the events may not be able to withstand it. Uh, I hope you know Kyle and I try really hard, and and we tried hard for. Nine years. Next year is going to be our tenth year to build a strong foundation where we're not one of those races races that go away. And but uh, you know sooner or later it, something's got to give.
1: Kyle. Yeah. He Peter took my line on the uh, the real estate buyer seller's market. It's definitely a uh, a racers market right now. And uh, just to re- reiterate what Peter had said, you know we we've, we've been trying to build our foundation for for nine years now and uh uh, we've been very very slow to grow and uh, with hopes that that we could we could fine-tune our events to where we could we could uh make them the best events possible and and you know racers look forward to uh to that event and and you know quite honestly hope to choose our events over others so that's that's why one of the reasons why uh, we've only had uh, we've only got to three events in our, our first nine years of existence uh basically trying to make them the best we can. And uh, I think that uh, long-term-wise, that was a a very good, solid move for sure.
3: Yeah, it was a mission accomplished for sure. So, guys, we won't keep you much longer. We want to start to wrap up here. But I I think, obviously, Kyle, if you listen weekly, Peter, I think, listens when he can. But you guys know that we have a podcast bracket, uh, Bad Beats, tied to – the NCAA tournament which obviously Villanova has now won and what about me guy was the guy that they were representing he was the bad beat that you've heard probably plenty about and um you know you uh, Kyle I think you offered us a couple of bad beats from the promoter side and which we love by the way <laughs> Would love to uh, love to hear either one of you if you've got a story that you can share with us uh, about a bad beat as a promoter.
4: Hey, w- what about me? <laughs> <laughs> do you have... That's a great... You have, that's a great uh, thing I was listening... Go ahead, Kyle.
1: Did, I think Peter's got one to share, but I, I can, can wholeheartedly say when you guys uh, released those <laughs> What About Guys, I was literally laughing. I was at my uh, office in Puzzle and I was literally laughing out loud. I mean, I, it, some of the other employees there were looking at me like, what the heck is going on? But you guys did a fantastic <laughs> job of that. I mean, it, I, I don't know where you came up with it, but it really hit home. Like these, these guys nailed it, but go ahead. Pete.
4: Yeah, I was I was uh, really enjoying the, uh, the relation to sports and, and racing and what about me? And, and as you guys were talking and mentioning all the different Segments of that, I I was actually picturing people in my head because I've been racing for what maybe 25 years now, and I think I pegged a lot of the people that you guys might have had in your mind there. But <laughs> so I was really laughing out loud. But as you guys were doing it, uh, I was thinking about myself, and and I've had I've had uh, quite a few what I call bad beats, uh, or what about me's, or, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, the the one thing I thought of was, uh, do you have one that I don't? I maybe I didn't catch all the podcasts, but what about did that really just happen? Ooh. What about a beat like that? Did that really just happen?
3: <laughs> I, don't I don't think we included that, but I think <laughs> we had <have> that submission.
4: <laughs> okay, well, let, I'm going to start things off with that, and maybe uh, maybe another driver at some point on the podcast uh, can run with it a little bit. For me, as a as a promoter, I had probably the worst bad beat of, did that really just happen? And <laughs> this might be the worst. I don't know if another promoter could top this. So, so we're... Uh, We're having the best spring fling, I think, as far as how smooth the event was going, how happy the racers were. There wasn't an ounce of rain. There was not one oil down, and we had a a bunch of cars there. But everything was just going about too good to be true. We get to, uh, and Jared, you were there. Uh, Kyle, you were obviously there. Luke, you might remember this. (laughs) We get to uh, I believe it was sixth round of the uh, the twenty thousand dollar race on Friday night, and uh, a little storm rolled through Bristol, and uh, it got cold, and we stopped racing, dried the track off, and Kyle and I came up with this brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> This, again this is did that really just happen bad beat so uh and and it really was a good idea it, it, in all honesty it shows and you know we're speaking from the heart when you talk to kyle and i we leave all our cards on the table it was sixth round there was about you know maybe 10 cars left and they were about to go down a, a track that was sitting for four hours and you know these guys are running for big money and they're all amped up to go but we both came up with the idea of let's put some rubber down the track so that no one has to be the quote unquote first pair. Because usually, you know, no matter what track it is, a lot of times after a rainstorm, the first pair is going to be maybe one or two slow. I'm not saying all the time, but in, in, we just were trying to avoid that possibility. So Kyle and I were going to go down and not race, just just do a long burnout. And, uh, and we were being serious about it. We were just going to go down the track and make a lap. And um, we did. Well, he did. <laughs> this, this, uh, and i was really having i was just finished telling emily that day this is like probably the best race we've ever had as far as how smooth things were going so i'm going i'm I'm trotting along down the track as straight as a pin smooth everything and all right i'm staying in the back of my mind this tracks really you know feels great you know as i go to the finish line i go to to lean on the brakes just to slow down and uh the car makes it now remember this is on live you know, my my family's watching at home. My wife and my young sons in the tower. It's it know, it, Everything always looks worse when it's at night. On top of it, and and my, here I am. I go into a uh, hard left into the guard wall, smack off both walls, and after my bell was rung. I'm not even kidding you. I was. I said to myself, "Did that really just happen?" And and uh, <laughs> that 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 come on. You guys cannot come up with the worst bad beat at the most time. I know <mean, laughs>
3: that's. That's about as bad a beat as it gets. <laughs> so that was a terrible thing. You know, just one of those goofy things that happens on the track and you had the best of intentions and everything was going great up until that moment. And I, I'll never forget the how my stomach turned inside out. And I can only imagine what you and Kyle were going through.
0: I can't well, even what about me yeah, on that one, Pete. I, I got nothing. No. <laughs> no, I've been a promoter for a long time. I got
4: nothing. I'm challenging Jared and, and uh, Luke. You're also a promoter. I'm challenging every other promoter out there to come up with one that, that's worse than that. That Did that really just happen? Bad beat. Because I can tell you guys, once I stopped spinning the car around and once I, real, I realized I was okay, I looked up and I said, this, is, this has to be a nightmare. There is no way that really just happened. Now, you
3: guys, <laughs> bo- I've worked for, for both uh, you, Kyle, and, and I've worked for Luke as well. Now, I can say that I've just about ruined both of your events uh, <laughs> myself. I, I did a monster wheelie at Galat and nearly all the track down. Mm-hmm. I thought I busted the oil pan, and and I, I wrecked at Luke's race, uh, got in the wall there. So your announcer... Uh, both of you had an announcer
4: that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's done I, some I damage
0: was, before. <laughs> I was thinking about that when Pete said, "You know, your uh, did that really happen?" Moment, and I wasn't gonna throw you under the bus there, Jed. But yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. Did did my did my co-announcer just? Oh my! Oh, oh where's JJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's pretty
1: good.
3: That didn't go well either time guys uh really thank
1: jet is jet is all always about getting the chat bleachers cheering for him regardless if it's turned the wind light on or crashed <laughs> or doing a wheelie comes back and the chat bleachers are just raving what, about him, So whatever, it takes, about right?
3: him. Right, whatever <laughs> it, it takes right that's whatever it chat bleachers yep. love it.
1: Doesn't hold back.
3: Right. Yeah. guys we thank you very much for taking some time to join us and um just we know things are going to go very well in vegas in a couple of weeks at uh, the spring fling million and uh, the races that you have throughout the season will follow suit and just really wishing you all the best as you get prepared for the big show in a couple of weeks.
4: Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to your racers. And uh, I can't say more that you guys have. Uh, you guys are doing a lot for the sport. I know you guys very well on a personal basis, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Just keep doing what you're doing because nobody's doing what you guys are doing right now, and it's great for the sport. Thank you, Peter.
1: Yeah, hey. 100% right, Pete. I can't tell you how many manufacturers and racers that I hear throughout the year that continually rave about the show. And uh, it's very uh, evidence uh, that when you listen to it, you guys have your heart and soul into this. So, thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you for buttering us up. I will see yeah. you guys in Vegas. I'm looking forward to it. It's just, you guys talked about how far it is. It's, I mean, it's like a 20-minute drive from here. So, I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you guys there. <laughs> I feel like i got a home track advantage. So. <laughs> All right, fellas, good luck, wishing you all the best. Great.
4: Thanks again, guys.
0: Okay, as I mentioned in the open, obviously, what you just listened to, it was a a conversation between Kyle Seipel, Peter Biondo, Big Jed, and myself in the spring of 2018. This is our follow-up conversation. Uh, Again, it was just a couple of months after the conversation that you just listened to that Kyle got his initial diagnosis. And in this discussion with Jed and myself, he kind of walks us through that. And the, uh, the, the, the pain, the turmoil, the anxiety uh, that he faced over the the next 12 months. And again, there's there's an air of optimism in this, but uh, it also sheds a light on this terrible disease and the havoc that it causes and, and the upheaval that it causes. So uh, there are times that, uh, that, that this may be difficult to listen to, but again... Um, it's Kyle's voice. It's Kyle's memory. And um, I think like his selflessness and his optimism um, that has been talked about pretty significantly since his passing really comes through. So, again, this is uh, Kyle with Jed and I, spring of 2019.
3: All right, guys. Joining us tonight is Kyle Seipel. We all know Kyle as the co-promoter of the Fling brand, and we typically would bring Kyle in on the eve of – one of his and Peter Biondo's events, to talk about the event. Obviously, the Spring Plain Million coming up next week, so this is normally what we had talked to Kyle about. But tonight, we want to talk about more of a story of trials and tribulations and challenges and ultimately try out Kyle's personal journey that he's taken since late summer of 2018. So without further ado, it's great to have Kyle Seipel on the phone with us tonight. Big Nasty, how you doing, bud? Doing good, guys. Appreciate you having me on always a pleasure what part of the world are you in tonight just so everybody knows where you know, you're at
1: we're in california i'm uh gonna leave tomorrow afternoon for the uh, vegas national event and uh grace a little bit of super stock but i'm in california here at my little uh, pleasanton office
3: yeah so before we talk about what i alluded to in the intro you got some racing that you're doing right now you're wheeling a pretty bad hot rod bud
1: yeah you know it's pretty cool to be honest with you i be the first to admit that when i was growing up i didn't have the best equipment and uh you know i've kind of fallen into this chevy copo you know it's uh not many people that can say that they're bracket racing or super stock racing a two hundred thousand dollar automobile and uh here i am a longtime friend family friend larry stone that owns a chevy dealership i've been friends with him for about 15 years now and uh he gave me a call he's like hey i got a i got a copo uh that uh my son was going to race, but some some things uh, fell through uh, the cracks. And uh, would you have any I- interest in driving it? And I was triple zero. I was like, Yeah, absolutely. I'll drive that. And typical Kyle Seifel, uh, uh perspective. You know, I don't. I can't get it to the track. I can't tune on it, but I can certainly get it down the track. So uh, <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a helmet and I have vinyl, but how do you uh, want me to get this car to the track? And Anyway, long story short, is uh, he works out a deal with Justin Lamb where he gets the, the car to the track and Justin and Chris uh, maintain it and they tune it. And my job is to let go of the button and try to turn on wind lights. And, win and uh, you know, very, very fortunate and uh, looking forward to racing that car this year for sure.
3: Yeah, we definitely hope to see you do well and get out there doing what you love and what you are really good at, too. So before we get rolling down the path that we're going to go down, Kyle. Let's just summarize your last 10 years. Things going really well. It's the spring fling, fall fling brand is is amazing. It's, it's getting the attention and from all around racing and the desire to be there is like no other. You guys add the third event uh, several years ago in Vegas. Now you're just coast to coast and you're doing it big time. Beautiful family, beautiful daughter, beautiful son, beautiful wife. Life is good. You're full-time working for Bracket Races Incorporated or LLC. And you got amazing partners in Peter and Emily right up until last summer when you got some news that nobody really expects or ever wants to hear.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, made a trip to the, to the dentist. The dentist says, uh, hey, you got something uh, kind of strange in your tongue. I, I would get to, get to the doctor and, uh, you know, okay, yeah, n- no problem, so go to uh the family doctor and uh, he says yeah you know we're gonna have to send you to a ear nose and throat specialist said, all right no problem so go there go to the ear nose and throat specialist takes a look at it. it's like yeah you know we're gonna have to do a do a, a biopsy on your tongue and you know me and my and my percentages i said well what what's the percentage chance that that you know this can be something serious he's like ah i'd say about one percent chance this is something serious so all right so i, I sleeping like a baby and a one percent chance to me he's like why am i why are we why are you even going through this whole whole ordeal you know so two days later after seeing the ear nose and throat specialist i go in and he shoots my tongue full of some type of novocaine or something and he cuts off a couple pieces and says all right we'll send this to pathology and we'll let you know what we find out two days later i'm in the backyard with hudson my five-year-old he's uh he's escorting me with a water hose and uh you know random phone phone call phone number my phone and uh pick up the phone, and it's a doctor. She says, hey, uh, this is, uh, I forget his name, but I've been seeing so many my doctors at this point, but uh, Dr. So-and-so, and, so, and uh, your pathology came back. I'm like, all right, yeah, what's going on? And he says, well, he's hate to tell you, but you have squamous cell cancer. And I said, uh, what was that again? You know, my son, he's still squirting me with the hose, you know. That, that I could barely understand. He says, yeah, you have squamous cell cancer, and we want you to do, a, in, uh, in two days, who wants you to do a CT scan, a PET scan, and we'll just take it from there. I'm like, okay. So, how exactly do you so spell "smart"? I'm making all these notes as I know that uh, I'm gonna have to do a little bit of research on what the heck's going on here. So, hang up with him, and uh, two days later, I get the, get a CT scan at the, the local hospital, and the day after that, uh, I get a, a PET scan. So, basically, the reason for doing that is they they want to see exactly. Uh, if the if the cancer has spread further than just your tongue and that sort of thing so to get those two scans done now I have a surgeon that's assigned to me which is very actually a, a surgeon that after I did a lot of research on was one of the top surgeons in all of the Bay Area I was very fortunate to to get called upon uh, he went to school at NYU did his internship the Mayo Clinic and uh anyways like, so I my wife and I go and see him and he says all right well it looks like that the cancer is just relegated to your to your head and neck and tongue area it doesn't look like that uh, it is any further so now we just have to do a, a pretty substantial surgery it's like about a six or seven hour surgery get that cancer uh, out of your your head and neck and your tongue and then uh, most likely what will happen is you might have a little bit of radiation and then uh, the things should be should, should be back to normal so So at that point, I believe timing-wise, it was about six or seven weeks from then is when they wanted to do the the surgery. So in between then, we had the Bristol Fling and then um, the management, the Sonoma track these days, and they had the ET finals. So, you know, I was happy that uh, I could still be able to attend those two that were very uh, close and dear to my heart for obvious reasons. So we go and do those two events. And then uh, the Tuesday after the E.T. finals, we'd go in for the for the seven-hour surgery, and everything went fine there. Well, and one of the parts that was an important part is it said, you know, after looking at the skin, it looks like that the cancer might be in one of your tonsils, and that's not a good thing, because if you have cancer in one of your tonsils, along with the other uh, the cancer in your tongue, those are most likely two different forms of cancer, and that's that's not good news, so... Anyway, I have to live for that for like seven weeks to, before they before they find out. So, anyways, go through the surgery, uh, wake up. First question I have for my wife is, "What's still the tonsil? Is it good or bad?" Yeah, good. Everything is good. No cancer in your tonsil. So, spend about three days in the hospital there. I do find out that they had to also take out about 35 to 40 lymph nodes because they did have uh, signs of cancer in one of my lymph nodes. So. The downside to that that I find out is that what they originally thought was going to be just having some radiation is now you're going to have to have uh, chemotherapy and radiation.
3: Don't apologize, but it's not necessary.
1: So what that entails is you get, uh, they want you to recover from the surgery so your body is well enough to be able to to handle the, the chemo and radiation. So you got three rounds of chemo, which is once every two weeks. And then in that same time frame when you have the chemo, you have 30 radiation sessions. So 30 radiation sessions, which is every single day, but they give you weekends off. So basically you have 30 rounds of radiation, three rounds of chemo. When you work out the math, it's about a six- or seven-week process. All right, so sign me up and we work <laughs> Uh, let's do everything we can to, to try to get clear of this stuff. So I leave the hospital. I'm home from the hospital for about 20 minutes and I can't breathe. I have uh, quite a bit of saliva in my mouth, blah, blah, blah. Long story short is uh, the apparatus I was using at the hospital, I didn't realize how much I was relying on that. So I get admitted back to the to the ER, uh, spend the 36 hours there, and then everything's good. and I go back home. So my neck is still very swollen. They said, you know, in the next week or two, the swelling should go down, and then we'll start the radiation chemo within a couple weeks after that. So about three days after I'm home, my neck is just getting bigger and bigger. Like, and I'm like, wow, I, I thought for sure that it was supposed to go down. So I said, you know what, I better go see my surgeon. I just have a feeling something's wrong. So I'm going to see the surgeon. He says, oh, yeah, it looks like you're the neck is infected. Oh, okay, great. great. So, what's the plan there? Well, we got to uh, drain your neck, and then uh, give you some meds, and you should be fine. So, right in the he starts. Uh, he has to slice open that little slice to get the, the infection out. And uh, so they use a little suction. I know I'm getting very graphic here, but they get the infection out. Nurse that's in the <laughs> in the doctor's office passes out because she couldn't handle uh, all the drainage. Let's just say. So then they have to uh, give me some meds to get rid of the infection, and he said, "Well, I hate to tell you this, but are going to spend three days in the hospital because we can't have you sent home because we have to do make sure that we get the right meds to where to where we can fight this infection off. And uh, there's no way around you not going back to the hospital. So, anyways, get through that, and finally on uh, the mending ways, and then uh, put us about ten days ten days later than they originally wanted to start the radiation chemo. Because uh, of, uh, of the infection. But, anyways, uh, so now now we start the, the radiation chemo. The radiation entails uh, having to go to uh, a, a doctor's office that uh, specializes in this sort of thing uh, once a day, every day, Mondays through Friday. Unfortunately, the way that the type of cancer that I have is you have to uh, go in and you have to wear this mask where they bulge on the table have six little snaps on the table and they have these marks on your mask and that's where they know exactly where to shoot the radiation is. So, you know, that, uh, that in itself took a, it, uh, wasn't easy to see to deal with. And I, uh, got through that and, uh, went there once, once a day for 30 days on no weekends once again. And then, uh, within that time period, once, wait, two weeks, you got to go to the doctor and you look, get some chemo that, uh, you know, it was wasn't no fun either. But the bottom line is we got through it. Have a whole new perspective is uh, pretty much the bottom line. You know, I, I uh you know, I can sit here I can complain that uh that I'm down sixty pounds and I talk different and lost all most of my hearing and uh, I'm also racing. And I can tell you one thing, after going through all this, I just ran quite a bit over at Tucson and most runs, the honest truth is, is, I couldn't tell you who got there first, second, who had a better light or what. But which really hits home because I was driving the Copo, and it's a new car, and uh, I was kind of a new car. And then I started driving Andy Morris's dragster there, which I've driven like the last twenty years. And shoot, the first run I made in that thing, I felt like I was on top fuel. Like <laughs> it's, uh, my, my brain, my brain was so far behind the car. You know, it's eighth mile race, and I think by the time I got to four hundred foot. I finally realized uh, where I was almost, but, um, you know, it, that, once again, it's just perspective. Like I can sit here and complain about those things we just talked about, but I'm in, in the hospital. I've been, uh, people in the hospital, people at the radiation center, people that, uh, getting chemo, you know, um, there was a, a lot that, uh, weren't, uh, nearly as fortunate as that
3: sure i I mean i couldn't imagine the the mental and physical challenge that that this produces or presents for you and your emotion right now i understand is raw and and certainly understandable but kyle you know where do you find the strength to pick yourself up because i know the world has been by your side and and offered their support let that only goes so far there's got to be something within you where do you find that
1: i had peaks and valleys i went through uh periods where you're like why me why does this happen like uh you know this is this isn't right and i think the biggest thing for me is that when i was about the week into the radiation i was going through a, a bad bad little spell and i finally just made it competitive you know i'm a happy-go-lucky guy let's say but you know i'm super competitive uh when it comes to business or racing, let's just say I decided that that's the perspective I wanted to put on it to where I'm not going to let this thing beat me. So, you know, radiation wise, uh, just basically told myself, listen, it's me, it's this radiation machine, this mask against cancer. And, you know, I'm not going to let it get the best of me. And once I got to that perspective, it it certainly helped out. And, you know, you you do a lot of soul searching, you you I'm not much of a reader, but uh, I look up a lot of videos. I, I shared some, I think, with Luke even. But, um, you know, you try to use other people's experience to get a perspective, and uh, that certainly helped too. I mean, uh, no matter how bad you think you have it, there's always somebody that has it worse. And uh, I think that helps out quite a bit also. Kyle,
0: you shared your journey, like, almost from a, a clinical standpoint. And obviously – the raw emotion coming through is you know evident and visible to all of us i'm curious like as you walk through all of those anxious moments and the not knowing and the the various phases of getting hit with a new hurdle and you can't know coming into it what you're getting into like i I guess what i'm curious is, is is there any one moment that stands out as maybe being the scariest of all of that going through what you've been through
1: not really. When I did the surgery, I was so ready, you know. I had this tumor that was growing inside my mouth. Barely got through the race at Bristol. Barely got through the E.T. finals. I remember getting wheeled in that cart. It was kind of like a movie, like, you know, I'm on the cart. i have been waiting for this time. I got my gown on and all that. And they wheel you inside this room with all these lights, and it's like, wow, you know, this is this is really going to happen. But at that point, I was no nerves or nothing, like. I was ready. Like, let's start feeling better. But I basically had enough. But uh, other than that, you know, there really wasn't one spot. It was just your mind keeps testing you to where I can't really put into words, but uh, there wasn't one point that I said, wow, this is, I I can't take any more. It's just, you know, uh, I have just kept thinking my kids, my wife, my business partner, everybody that stood behind me, they're counting on me. So it sounds silly, but I don't want to let anybody down, and I got a lot that uh, I still want to accomplish in life, and uh, you know that was the biggest motivation for sure.
3: And Kyle, you had procedure shortly before Pomona. Could racing season have come along at a better time? I mean, you've got you've got your your flings happening, you've got your own personal racing. You know, I imagine that had to be. Quite an uplift to to give you something to occupy that time, take some of those thoughts away, and keep you active, which has got to be a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, when I got word from Larry Stone and, and uh, the Lamb family that I was going to race that Copo, I mean, that was motivation in itself. You know, it, uh, I don't. I've been very fortunate in my racing career, but on the same lines, like I said, I'd, I grew up racing cars that weren't the top, of, top of the line of equipment, top of the line equipment, and here I have this opportunity to race a car that, uh, you know, that, that I would, that I would feel for. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to let, uh, this cancer get the best of me, but yes, so uh, back to that, the, the timing of it couldn't be better, you know, uh, on the same token, I've had to rely on, on Peter and Emily for that matter to, to really take up the slack and the, and the flings and, and, uh, you couldn't ask for a better business partner. You know, I told him I was sick. He basically said, Listen, whatever it takes, you just get better and, and I'll handle I'll handle the business and uh from a business perspective you can't ask for a better business partner, or best friend to uh to say that and he says, You know, you just take all the all the time you need to get better, we'll get through this. So yep, yep, for sure.
3: And no doubt, uh, you, you're surrounded by wonderful people, and you know that's um, that's no surprise out of uh, Peter and Emily to to take up the slack. But I can see that you're still working hard. You're obviously on the verge here next week at the Spring Fling Million, most likely to be the largest one ever. Um, you know that has to be that uh, has to be raising your spirits and and helping you get through some challenges that still remain. I know. You're not uh, done with this yet. I know it's still a battle, but uh, all the the success and good things that are happening around you right now has got to have you feeling a little better for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's definitely keeping me occupied and uh, I feel uh, confident we're going to have the biggest fling event that we've ever had uh, prior in Las Vegas. Uh, We've got a lot of good momentum there and, uh, you know, family and friends on my side and all... uh, all my employees at Sonoma Raceway have my back, and, uh, you know, yeah, without a doubt, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to 2019, that's for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Kyle, I know you've had, you've mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit of the immense support that you've had from those close to you. Obviously, from the racing community at large, um, it's probably a difficult question to, like, single any one out but I know that there were a handful of people that really reached out to you that had been through similar experiences like was there any one person or conversation that really stands out in your mind uh, of the many that you had trying to work through this
1: yeah you know uh that's one thing that this whole ordeal uh I don't lose perspective on Uh, there's really two people that were my that were my go-to um Todd Beavis who uh builds race cars and Um, uh, never even said one word to him prior to this uh, diagnosis. Uh, Jason Shade Shade from Mark Williams, a good buddy of mine, when I told him what I was going through, he said, listen, uh, a good buddy of mine, Todd Beavis, went through the identical thing that you went through, and I think it it would be good for you to talk to him. You know, as much research as you do online, the first thing you find is everything is very negative, uh, very few positives to to be drawn from, 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 uh, from this diagnosis. And, uh, speaking of the Todd, he had been through, he had the identical cancer, tongue cancer I had. Uh, he didn't have radiation chemo, but he had the radiation and he, he had a good perspective there. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time texting him back and forth on what, uh, what I should be, uh, basically he gave me, uh, what I should be expecting from the different phases. And that, that helped out a lot. That was basically prior to surgery, through surgery, post-surgery. I mean, I I wore him out via text message. And uh, I, I I couldn't ask for somebody I've never met face-to-face but to to give me that amount of time. So that was cool. Prior to the surgery, John Schumacher had reached out to me you know, Don Schumacher, I might've said hello and goodbye sort of, sort of thing, but never had much of a conversation with him. And, uh, Jeff Foster from LVMS reached out to uh, the Schumacher group. And before you know, it, Don, Don uh, had gave me a phone call. Uh, he had uh tongue cancer and I had about a 45 minute conversation with him, gave me some more perspective on what, what I'm going to be going through and some suggestions he made. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, those two people uh, certainly made uh, the whole process uh, a lot more bearable. Just just so I could I get some feedback through somebody that had been through this ordeal, which is uh, very, very hard to come by.
3: Yeah, very, very cool that those guys were uh, sounding boards for you and somebody that um, had been through this experience and helped you get through it. So, Kyle... If there's somebody listening that is affected the same way, or they know somebody that's affected by this in a similar fashion, or any fashion for that matter, maybe the message is simple. But what do they need to hear? What's the message they need to hear to help them prepare
1: and and battle through this? Well, it's a great question. You know, I, I've I've met so many people through this through this ordeal that some have made it through, some haven't, but. You know, and there's not one thing you could pinpoint that is going to give you a better or, or, or worse chance. But that being said, it's just a matter of hitting rock bottom and get your mind right to where if your mind isn't right and you, and you don't think that you're going to make it, then you probably won't. You know, I think that uh, you got to hit rock bottom and you have to put your mind to it that. This is not going to beat me, regardless of, of, of how bad or, or or what prognosis you have. Basically, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and had three rounds of chemo and 30 rounds of radiation, but you know, there's people that have it a lot worse, and uh, I certainly wasn't going to let it beat me. I wasn't going to let it beat me, that's for sure. Kyle, yeah. I know
0: that just keeping in touch with you a little bit throughout the process, you talk a lot about... Perspective and how your outlooks changed you talk a lot about you've, you've told me personally and I, and I want to say you've said something along these lines publicly that you never realized there was so much you could learn about yourself i guess like this may be a really difficult question too but as you look back on what you've been through to this point what can you say like big picture what, what have you learned what can you take away from it
1: let's just take like a uh, racing perspective which is what. You know, you, most of us, uh, me, you, Jared, Mark Romeo, we know basically more than anything. And, you know, first race back, I'm at uh, the NHRA national event in Arizona. You know, they had some bad weather. And and, uh, the bottom line is, is that they told all the sportsmen, you're getting one time run, right? it goes to the pits like wildfire. NHRA, this is terrible. How can they give us one run? And You know, this and that. And shit, here I am. I'm, I'm in a brand new car to me. Hardly, I had a couple of test runs, and you know, I'm just happy as a clam that I'm even at the racetrack. Let alone <laughs> complain about making one run prior to the first round. And I think it's just that kind of sums up in a nutshell. It's just perspective that here we are doing uh, out here racing and and doing something we love. That is a bonus that a lot of people don't have the opportunity of of even don't even have a chance to have that, uh, type of opportunity and, you know, kind of lose perspective here. You are complaining about making a one run down the track prior to first round. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, that pretty much sums it up that, uh, you just need to be grounded from time to, time to time to have a little bit better perspective is all.
3: Yeah. Sometimes we think we got problems. We don't have problems. Do we, bud?
1: Yeah. Yep. You got that right. Well, Kyle,
3: man that's uh we appreciate it so much you taking some time to to take us on your journey you sound great you look great and just super proud of you man for for what you've battled through and will continue to battle through and i know i speak for everybody when we say we believe in you and just keep fighting get through it man we can't wait to see you next week at the the spring fling million it's going to be amazing
1: Yep, I appreciate it, guys. I uh, definitely turned the corner, and uh, like Luke said, that I think the key word for today is perspective. And uh, anybody listening, I think I don't care who you are, that uh, perspective uh, uh, is something that you don't want don't want to lose track of for sure.
0: Just for clarity, like, what is the current state or diagnosis? Like, I assume this is something you're gonna be dealing with the rest of your life. But what is the latest?
1: You know it's basically I see my surgeon every two months and this will be his determination if he wants to get some scans done and such. But I guess the bottom line is, is that for the next five years, the surgeon tells me that, uh, if I could go five years without any type of, uh, cancer popping up, then, then, you know, uh, in quotes, I'm pretty much home free, but, between now and then I'll see him every two months and uh, for, for the first year at least and then if we get through that then that two months time frame goes to six months and then if we get through that then that six months time frame goes to once a year but essentially that's the program that I'm on uh, so uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that every time I see him that nothing will pop up and and uh, that's that's pretty much where I'm at
3: We'll all do the same for you, my friend. We're all pulling for you. And again, if there's anybody in the world that'll whip it, it's Big Nasty. There ain't no doubt in our minds. So, while I'm thanking you for your time and and your your sharing your story with us, you know we're not done. You know that's hey,
1: right. Oh boy, Yeah, here it comes. I can only imagine what you've got for me.
3: <laughs> so, we're going to lighten the mood just a little and uh, ask you a few questions and. You give us your answers, you know how it works, and Luke will be up first.
0: Uh, yeah. Right. Normally this is this is a quick back and forth, you know the deal. I have a feeling that this first one might just elicit a little bit more explanation. And just on behalf of everyone listening, we're fine with that.
1: Kyle Okay, Siobhan. here we go.
0: Most embarrassing moment at the racetrack.
1: Wow. There's been quite a few. I mean I'm going <laughs> up at the racetrack. Most embarrassing moment at the racetrack. Uh well, I don't have a Peter the left in reverse in my high school, you know, 10,000 people watching. Boy, I should have been more prepared for this most embarrassing moment at the racetrack. Uh, I'm going to say that we have to go back to that one. I am not to think about that.
3: Okay. You know, we don't normally give people a pass, but you get a pass. So we'll come back to question number one so think about that while you're answering these. Kyle, what is one of your talents that would surprise us?
1: I pride myself, you're not going to believe this, but I actually pride myself on getting better if it's in business or at the races every single time. So in other words, Justin Lamb and I have been racing for quite some time and I've tried to instill this, which I, I think he has a, a good handle on now, which he didn't uh, in his early years. But no matter if it's putting on a race at Sonoma, putting on the spring fling or we going down the track, I try to learn from, from my mistakes to where, I try not to blame circumstance or try to blame the race car. I try to get the understanding of what just happened so it won't happen again. And I, Most times, I won't say all the time, but most times I try to find out how I can make myself a better manager, a better driver, a better person to where I won't do that again. Okay, fair enough. Back to me. Boxers or briefs? I'm a boxer brief. I'm a boxer brief, a little bit of both, bud.
3: Oh, man, speaking right to my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew the answer to that. <laughs> Don't ask me yeah, why. Yeah, you, Kyle, yeah, exactly. Kyle, what is your least favorite venue? Now, you, typically you wouldn't do this on air, but if it's your least favorite, who cares? Least favorite venue meaning
1: like racetrack? Or?
3: Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant racing venue.
1: Least favorite racing venue.
3: I mean, where's that one place you just can't win around? Just, I mean, just hate going there, or dread it, not hate it. That means you're too good at racing.
1: No, I, I'm trying. I, no, I'm not. You, trust me. Uh, <laughs> um, you and I live the same movie, movie Jared. Uh, we. Our racing legacy uh, precedes us to where we don't. Recently, uh, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> our our legacy supports us. Our track record recently doesn't support the legacy, But uh, yes, uh, you, you're following me. But once again, I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. There isn't one track that I just dread going to. Uh, uh, I don't have an answer. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll help you out. I hate Rockingham enough for both of us. <laughs>
1: Yeah. All right. There you
0: go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Kyle, you have uh, you have been known. You just have fun, right? I, I've said on the podcast before, like it's not fair when you win because you have more fun than anybody at the track, and then you win too. Like the two don't. This shouldn't go hand in hand like
1: yep. that. Got it got, so, it. got it. Yep. I tried to.
0: Along those lines, like fun at the track, fun away from the track, like just fun, right? That I think that's probably your legacy as much as anything, which is a cool legacy to leave. <laughs> along those lines. Like, maybe not even the, the best hang to hang with, because, like, you, you've you've hung out with everybody across the country, but maybe, like, the sneaky good hang. Like, somebody you look at and go, like, I don't know about going out with that guy. And then you get back from the track, and, like, that was the coolest night ever. Like, who would just surprise you as, like, being really fun to go hang out with?
1: I met him back in the 1991, and we've become best of friends since. Uh, and, you know, it's probably Jake Coffin Jr. Jake Coffin Jr. is... Uh, from a public perspective, he's very professional and he, he's he's very methodical and he's a great driver, which which are all true. But when you get him behind the scenes, he's probably one of the most fun and funniest people that you'll ever ever encounter. He him and I, the way our personalities uh, work, are like peanut butter and jelly. I, I could, he's probably uh, the one that most people wouldn't probably think he's like a straight arrow. Let's just say. But he he loves to have a good time with
3: that know <laughs> No surprise there. Now, we'll circle back to number one. You might not have an answer still, but I would think, to me, because of the way you just duped Peter Biondo out of the win with the wreck and go, I would think that should be embarrassing. When you reflect back on how dirty that was, I would think that would be embarrassing to you, Kyle
1: yeah we got him pretty good, didn't we? go I mean yeah we got him good on the wreck and go. I mean once you give him we'll, we'll, we'll go back to perspective. There was a time in my life before I went through this ordeal that that I thought that I was invincible. I truly thought that that nothing nothing could hurt me nothing uh, uh I'm an invincible person and, and just to put that into perspective uh I'm racing van greer's uh escort. As you had put it during the interview, I was I was wearing the the escort. I just fit it so well, and, you know. Uh, I'm looking. I'm. What was was Peter driving your car? What was he driving? I forget. No, he was uh, driving uh, Bubba Bubba yeah. Nova. Yes. Chevy too. And uh, he was catching me a little bit early. This is back when we were a thousand foot. He was catching me a little early, and I said, "You know what?" And I I didn't even think of this prior, but why don't I just pretend like I'm going to go in his lane? I'm probably going to hit him, and maybe he'll out the gas or something. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, that's right I was out in the left lane. I started looking over; he's catching me early. I said, "All right, I'm going to not cross the center line and get disqualified." But why don't we just put it over near his lane so we can give him the lift? And sure enough, he he took the bait, and uh, I beat him. That, that was that was back in the day where uh, KS thought he was invincible and nothing could hurt him. But yes, that's a great example, Jerry.
3: Here I was thinking the steering wheel rubbing both of your thighs was causing that to happen, but I guess it was you doing it on on. your own. The car was appropriately named tension. Yeah,
1: without a
3: doubt. Without a doubt. I love it. Kyle, again, thank you so much. Uh, Obviously, your story was not easy to share. My mind's pretty simple, but I believe it's healthy to share it, and I know you've helped someone with your story tonight we can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing it with us. Always great to talk to you again, man. We love you. We're all pulling for you. And I can't wait to hug that ugly head of yours next week at the spring playing million.
1: Yeah. Looking forward to seeing, uh, you and Luke and, uh, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, hopefully somebody listening to this show, uh, it, it will help them out. And, uh, uh, I was hoping I wouldn't get so emotional, but uh, it's definitely raw. It's still raw for me, and uh, I certainly appreciate the time, guys.
3: Yeah, man. Have a good night, what's left of it, and we will see you next week. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a huge show, bud.
1: All right. Appreciate it, guys.
3: All right, Kyle. See you,
2: man. All right, guys. want to talk to you about our great friends at Manscaped. Now, they've just come out with Lawnmower Four Point 4.0 trimmer. It's available now in the USA and Canada. And what makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers, you ask? It's a 7,000 RPM trimmer. I guess, 7,000 RPMs. We love RPMs. And this is turning 7,000 of them. That's a well-tuned small block Chevrolet. Luke, Luke, I would love to mash the loud pedal. On this lawnmower 4.0, and I might do it after a while, as a matter of fact. And it features skin safe technology, guys. This keeps your package in check, and it's helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. Less trips to the emergency room if you get the 7,000 RPM lawnmower 4.0. I love investing in the best new technology and advancement, and I'm blown away by the performance. But the craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are simply next level. Now, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and their brand-new shaving tools are just dropped right in time for Father's Day. So do that father a favor, and even if somebody's about to be a father, just go ahead and get it out of the way. Go to Manscaped.com, put in promo code Jed, that's J-E-D, and you get 20% off with free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping manscape.com use promo code jed it's dad bod season and it's time to get smooth do that dad a favor and go to manscape.com and get some so product me no room we can close it up to a thou if you really want me to i'm a loud mouth we show out track on point like i'm cross no winning all the time honey wayne i got this like baby cool my mama done already made me change to the front while he's a check over here that's all gold everything it's a savage sport drop a beat drop, take 30 but that's an awful lot we need it, when we win what you like right
0: enrollment in this is bracket racing elite is now open you've heard me discuss or at least reference this is bracket racing elite it is the premier offering of our website this is bracketracing.com